Thank you for tuning into this sermon from New Life Student Ministries. Our goal is to inspire, equip, and support our students and families with biblically rich and God-centered teaching. These messages are meant to be supplemental and not substitutional for our weekly gathering. We hope this sermon is a blessing to you and your spiritual walk. Oh, it is good to be here. Hey, if I haven't had a chance to meet you, uh, I'm this guy's twin. His name's Victor. My name's Tim. You look beautiful tonight. Go ahead and grab a seat, shake a hand, hug a neck, slap a face, do whatever you need to. No shame. No shame. Grab a seat. Look at this crowd tonight. So many people. So many people. I think we got chairs for everybody. If you don't have a chair to sit on, you're more than welcome to come sit up here on the floor. Fair warning, I do spit. So you'll probably get some form of wet. Or you can grab a chair in the back. That works as well. That works as well. All right, good evening. You talk back to me. I say good evening. You say good evening. Good evening. evening. All right, make sure you're awake. I got to make sure you're awake. Guys, it is so good to be back here with you. A three-week break is too long. Dear goodness. feels like 2020 is already over and we're only on January 15th. A couple things. Uh, If you were not here with us last week, last week we had the privilege of hopping over um, with the rest of the church. They are kind of doing three Wednesday worship nights. To launch January here tonight's night number two, but we uh, we decided to have our own thing here tonight because we missed your faces so much. So uh, they have one more next week. We will not be participating in that next week. We will be here. I got a couple announcements for you guys. Everyone say announcements. That's a good job. Okay, number one. Hear me out here. We have a first time ever event coming up in February. February 21st to the 22nd, and it's our first ever high school retreat experience. All right, so this is what this is, okay. We are about one month and one week away from this. What this is going to be is a weekend for us to gather and worship the name of the Lord, okay. So this is what it's going to look like. We're going to come here Friday night in the World Prayer Center. Everyone say World Prayer Center. World Prayer Center, it's that building over there that's got a bunch of flags around it. We're going to rally in there. We're going to pray. We're going to worship. We're going to eat food. We're going to do some fun things that I can't tell you about. Then go do a a sleepover at a friend's house. Go pitch a tent outside your friend's house in their front lawn. That would be awesome if you did. We'll come back Saturday morning at 8 o'clock. Everyone say 8 o'clock. And then we're going to bus up to Golden Bell Camp. And we're going to have a whole day up at Golden Bell Camp, okay. So I do not want you to miss out on this. I want you to listen to me. I'm asking you as your youth pastor, make this a priority and come. I can can easily tell you that when I look back at my high school and my junior high years, these type of moments were the most significant moments in, in, in my walk with the Lord. And you do not want to miss it. So February 21st and 22nd, be there. Or be square. Do people still say that? I don't know. (laughs) Announcement number two, okay. For those of you who have been looking or searching for something at another time during the week, um, 
to be discipled, to get into the word, to get into prayer, to get into worship, to get into community. At the end of January, January 28th, we are going to be starting ever our first ever high school discipleship group. Okay? Now this is what this is. There's an application process for it. So Pastor Victor and Miss Catherine, they're somewhere here in this room. Miss Catherine's back there. Pastor Victor, the one dressed like me, is right there. Okay. They have an application. If you are interested in doing this, this is what it looks like every Tuesday for about 13 weeks from 4 to 6. They're going to meet at a house. They're going to pray. They're going to eat food. They're going to get into the scriptures. They're going to worship. They're going to take it next level. Okay, so if that's something that you would be interested in doing, I want to invite you to participate in that. You can get an application from Pastor Victor or Miss Catherine. All right, James, I want you to open up your Bible to the book of James. We're going to open up 2020 with a whole new series that I am pumped about. James, this is an interesting book. This is arguably and debatably the first New Testament letter that was written. Most scholars, most theologians and historians believe that James, the author, was the half-brother of Jesus. So he was the son of Joseph and the son of Mary. Okay? And they believe that, that James did not convert pre-Jesus' death and resurrection, but it was post-Jesus' death and resurrection. And so we have a letter here from James, the leader of the Jerusalem church, the first church. Okay? And he's writing it to the 12 tribes of the dispersion. Okay? Essentially what that means is he's writing to Jewish people. And why that's important is because when you read this letter, you got to understand that it was intended for Jewish listeners, not Gentile listeners, predominantly like not American listeners, Jewish listeners. He's talking to people who have a preconceived understanding of the Mosaic law. He's talking to people who have a preconceived understanding of the God of Israel and the history of Israel. So everything that we're talking about, when you, when you hear about like Moses uh, letting, asking you know, Pharaoh to let his people go and the ten plagues of Egypt and, and Israel being released from captivity and the Red Sea splitting and them going in the wilderness and them marching around Jericho and Samson and Deborah and Elijah and David and Saul, all those wonderful things. Things, they would understand and have, have knowledge of that history. And this is the audience that he's talking to. And it's important to understand that when you approach this letter. Because otherwise it can be quite discouraging. He's talking to people who have a preconceived understanding. James 1, chapter 1, verse 1 says this. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes in the dispersion. Greetings. Count it all joy. If you got a Bible with you, I want you to underline that first statement. Count it all joy. My brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete Lacking in nothing. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord to which all God's people say. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We love you. Your presence is welcome here in this house tonight. Oh Lord, would you come? 
though this might not be a popular message, though this might not be a popular faith, would you show us what it is tonight? Would you give us eyes to see? Would you steward and direct our hearts to where they need to be this evening? Would you take our attention? Would you move in us? Have your way in us. Speak to us. Be gentle and kind with us tonight. Lord, I pray that the words of the preacher would be accurate. I pray that you would guard my brothers and sisters for wherever I might be in error. I pray that your spirit would come and make us new this evening. It would speak life over us this evening. It would grant us strength this evening. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, minds to understand, hearts to believe. And if you're with me tonight, say amen. Amen. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. Count it all joy. Our God statement for tonight is Christ is joy. Something about joy. Everyone say joy. Joy. Say it again. Say joy. Joy. Can can you do me a favor? Can you close your eyes? You hear the word, the word, dear God, help me speak tonight. When you hear the word joy, what do you picture? What comes in your mind? joy. What does it look like? What does it feel like? What does it taste like? What does it sound like? Joy. Joy, 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 joy. Lord, show us what it means to count it all joy tonight. Show us what it means. Open your eyes. It kind of takes a moment to actually think about the word before you start realizing what it actually means to you. You know, predominantly when I hear the word joy, my mind goes to that awesome movie, Inside Out. I don't know if you've seen it. I know, it's like so unsatisfying. Oh, yeah, the scriptures, Inside Out, right? Like, no, like, how many of you have seen this movie, Inside Out? If you haven't, I'm so sorry that your life doesn't have a ton of meaning, okay? (laughs) Like, this, this movie... Is got to be, get Disney Plus, dear goodness. You should have it by now. This, 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 so there's this movie of this little girl. And as weird as it sounds, it's a movie based upon what's going on inside her head. And so we, we, have, this, we have this moment where we, her, her, her life kind of comes into being. And she gets all of these memories. And she's got like this control console in her head. And predominantly the, like the figure who's running the soundboard is... It's joy, joy. And so it is joy's job to keep the little girl joyful, happy, looking at life with the glass half full. And as you watch this movie, you begin to see this girl begins to walk through like a season of misery for any prepubescent child. She gets moved from a city and a place in which she's grown up her entire life and is taken to San Francisco or whatever it's going to be where they have broccoli pizza and things are just disgusting. It doesn't make sense. And this is the picture that I get when I think of joy. It's like, it's like oh yeah, like a little yellow blue haired thing. 
skating around my head. Like this is what joy looks like, right? And I, I think this is predominantly like what we think of. You think of joy, you're like thinking of like, you guys ever see that YouTube video of like the little boy who opened up like the Nintendo 64 on Christmas morning? And he's like, oh my gosh! My parents love me! Like this is awesome! Or like you think of like when, when that girl like finally gets asked to prom by like that dream boy, you know? And it's like, oh. Right? Like you think of these moments of like, oh, it's joy. Mr. Sam Sharin, we were talking about like, like, hey, how was your Christmas break on a scale of 1 to 10? And this homie went, man, mine was a 10. We said, why? He said, I bought my first car. I was like, that's awesome. He bought himself a Honda Pilot. He's ready for a family at 17. <laughs> I respect it. Family and a half. Right? Like... Like we think of like, man, when things go our way, we are experiencing, we're experiencing joy. And things are going well. I want to suggest to you tonight, that's not what Christian joy is. That might be the world's definition of joy. That's not what James is talking about here. That's not what New Testament authors are talking about. When you're talking about Christian joy, I want you to think of three things. Christian joy first, it takes place not in the body, but in the soul. Not in the body, but in the soul. Let me explain that for, for a minute. If I take my arm right here, and I'm pushing my arm back and forth, back and forth, it has absolutely no meaning. No meaning. It is my soul that ascribes virtue to my body to make whatever my body does have meaning. Are you with me? So this in and of itself means nothing. If I were to put Charlie's face right here, that all of a sudden have meaning, wouldn't it? My soul ascribes whatever I'm gonna, if I were to smack Charlie in the face, something is evil. And in the same way that I could use this arm to inflict pain, I can use this arm to grab my man Charlie and give him a hug. And show him, oh, yeah, I got you, my man, I got you. Right? Right? It's our soul that ascribes virtue to whatever our bodies are. I want to suggest to you tonight that joy does not take place in the body. It takes place in the soul. In the soul. It transcends a simple feeling that you are going to have when things go your way. It ascribes virtue to what you experience in your body. It takes place in the soul. The second thing about joy is it is solely and only produced by the Holy Spirit. You can't make and you can't create joy. I could walk out of this place tonight and buy my wife a brand new car. She might be happy, but that's not purchasing joy for her. She can't create Joy. I can't create joy. You can't create joy. It's not something we can produce in and of ourselves. It's something the Holy Spirit has to do in you. If you're not a believer in here tonight and you're like, what is the Holy Spirit? This feels like some voodoo stuff and I'm freaking out right now. It's simply character and nature of our God manifested three in one. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit. It is the nature of God that produces actual joy in you. And finally, Christian joy is for the sole purpose 
of you and me seeing Christ more beautifully. More beautifully. Hear me, brothers and sisters, tonight. Joy is the Christian mission. Joy is not just a goal. It's the goal of the believer's life. Joy. It is our ability to see Christ more beautifully day by day by day by day. We are at January 15th in 2020. Not just the start of a new year, but the start of a new decade. Predominantly around this time of year, people, including myself, like to set New Year's resolutions. How many of you set New Year's resolutions? Wow, a whole seven of you. Okay, I'm going to talk to the whole seven of you right now. It's this time where you go, you know what, like, like in 2020, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be my best self. I'm going to look my best self. I'm going to dress my best self. I'm going to be my best self. I'm going to perform my best self. All that wonderful jazz. This is where you say, I'm going to make this much money. I'm going to get this girl to be my lady. And I'm going to have these type of abs. One, two, three, four, five, six. <laughs> right? Like it's that time of year where it's like, you know what? You can already picture yourself December 2020, six inches taller and looking good. Right? Like this is that time where it's like we're setting goals. I got things to hit. Where are all my threes on the Enneagram in here? Yeah, the whole couple of you who are like in college, okay? It's like, like my achievers, they like to get things done. This is their time of the year where I'm like, oh, I'm going to crank it all out. I'm going to see how I'm going to pace my year. I'm going to measure my year. Like these are the goals of 2020 to make this much money, to get this much school done, to make this type of grade in this deal, to, to ask this girl to prom, to, to, to win a state championship, to, to, to break two minutes in the 800 if you're a track person. I don't know. Like this, this is what they think about. And I want to suggest to you tonight that your mission your mission in life, your goal in life, if you walk with Jesus, is solely to enjoy him more every day. To find your joy in him every single day. That your goal by the time you hit December 2020, before you have six-pack abs and a million dollars, is to see Jesus more beautifully than you see him right now. That's the Christian mission. That's the goal. That's the life we live. Is to see him more beautifully every day that we wake up. To see that everything that he gives us is for the sole purpose of seeing him more beautifully. To enjoy him. Count it all joy. But this is not the only thing that James says. In this passage, is it? No. He says, count it all joy when you face various trials. Trials. Everything's hunky-dory in Scripture and in Christianity until we get to verses like this. 
When you talk about a God who loves his people, who lays his life down for his people, who came to live a perfect life and he does miracles, he raises the dead to life, he can heal the sick, he can make the blind see, he can heal disease, he can heal mental illness, he can restore families, he can restore marriages, he can make you like everything in the Christian message sounds awesome until we get to something like this. Count it all joy until you, including when you face trials. And it doesn't make sense. There's something about it that, that doesn't click. It's like counterintuitive. Five things that James addresses in regards to trials in this passage. It's five things. Can we put them on the screen? Five things. The first thing is that trials are inevitable. This is not if you face trials. Count it all joy if you face trials. No, no, no. This is count it all joy when you face trials. When you. It's inevitable. How many of you have had a rough day in your life? How many of you have had something happen to you that you did not anticipate to happen to you that was awful? If you haven't, newsflash, there will be a day coming, right? Life's hard. Life's hard. We all know that. Your high school students in the 21st century, life is hard. I don't know if there's any other generation that I've had to see endure more pain than your generation in high school. Life is hard. And what James is saying here is he goes, look, you, you need, if you're going to follow Jesus, you need to have this mindset that to follow him means that trials are inevitable. Suffering is going to be inevitable. Bad days, hard days are going to be inevitable. Be ready for it. The second thing that he addresses is that there's going to be multiple kinds of trials. The older you get, the more things you're going to have to pay for. I'm so sorry. I never thought about it till I had to pay for it. It just stings. I have a utility bill. I'm going to pay for trash. Ugh. Some of you might pay for your cell phones already. Most of you probably don't. You're going to pay for that one day. Car insurance. Some of you, if you're not overly intelligent, might have a car payment one day. Don't do it. Don't do it. I'm glad you enjoyed that, Pastor Victor. Right? Like one day, one day you're gonna one day you're gonna have a mortgage, you're gonna have a rent. Maybe. One day you're gonna have a spouse. They're expensive. <laughs> They're expensive. Nobody tells you how much a spouse costs. I'm not just talking about ladies. Men are expensive. We're more expensive. We want big things. Houses. Vacations. You're going to have financial trials when you get older. You might lose a job. The money's not there. You can't make rent. You're going to have trials. You're going to have family trials. Some of you, your parents might have split up. Your parents are going through hard things. Some of you, you've had rough situations with siblings. You're going to have trials with family. You're going to have trials with friends. Friends are going to tick you off if they haven't already. And if they haven't, you don't have the right friends. <laughs> like they're going to make you mad. They're going to betray you. They're going to hurt you. They're going to do things behind your back. 
You're going to have to face it. You, you might be at school right now and you might feel so isolated. Isolation's a trial. You might be going through depression in your mind. Depression's a trial. You might have had to endure one of your friends or somebody you know taking their life. That's a trial. James is going, look, not only are trials going to happen, but they're going to come in all ways, shapes, and sizes at different seasons and different times in your life. Be ready for it. Be ready for it. The third thing he says, we're going to shift here, is that the purpose of the trials is to test your faith. Test your faith. Trials reveal to us whether our faith is authentic or not. Trials reveal whether you actually trust Jesus with your life or not. You might be frustrated about that. But he does it because he loves you. It's to test your faith. Who's the supreme treasure of your life? What's it for? It's to test your faith. Why? To produce, number four, steadfastness or endurance. Most people talk about Christianity as about a God who saves his people. I believe it with all my heart. And I believe it's only half the gospel. And we don't have a God who just saves his people, but he sustains his people. And the way and the means in which he sustains his people is through trial. Through trial. He's putting you, you get put through the fire to see and for him to produce steadfastness and endurance in you. And for this final reason, we're going to focus on tonight so that you can count it all joy. Everyone say joy. It's kind of a weird thing. It's a counterintuitive thing that someone would say, I want you to have joy as a product and in the midst of pain and not sunshine and rainbows. Right? The world, our, our picture of joy is when things go our way, people are experiencing full joy. And yet here in scripture, we see the antithesis. We see the New Testament writers saying, count it all joy when you face trials of various kinds. When life gets hard. But James isn't the only New Testament writer who's saying this. Six passages I want to share with you tonight. Where the same message continues to be echoed over and over and over again. There seems to be something significant about the relationship between joy and trials and suffering. Romans 5, verse 3 through 5. Paul says this, not only that, but we, say it like you mean it, rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. First Peter 4, 12 through 13, the apostle Peter says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. As though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings. That you may also and be glad when his glory is revealed. Hebrews 10, 34 through 35. For you had compassion on those in prison and you 
joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. You hear what he just said? That you were joyful when somebody stole your stuff. He was happy when someone came in and took his TV. That's ridiculous. But he says, no, you joyfully did it. Joyfully did it. Where am I at here? Oh, since you knew that you yourselves had, better, had a better possessions and an abiding one, therefore do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. Philippians 2, 17 through 18 says this, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and with me. First Thessalonians 1 Thessalonians 1.6. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians 8, 1 and 2. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Something about suffering and joy. Brothers and sisters, the message of the gospel and of Christianity has been carried forth through the generation, generations on the backs and blood of those who joyfully embrace their affliction, their trials, and their suffering. Why? Why? I want you to think about that. We, we, we have James here saying, look, I want you to count it all joy. Count it all joy when you face various trials. This is so counterintuitive. So counterintuitive. Count it all joy when you face various trials. Why? Why do we count it all joy? What is so significant about joy? Let me put the next slide up. It's because joy magnifies. Everyone say magnifies. Nope, that's not the next slide. That's awkward. Go back. Go back. One, two, three. Yeah. That's my girl. Everyone give her a hand. Give her a hand. Joy. In Christ magnifies these two things. The truth, beauty, and worth of Christ. Joy in Christ magnifies the truth, beauty, and worth of Christ. Have you ever seen something magnified before? You know what, you know what happens to something when something's magnified? It's made big, right? How many of you have ever been to Despo Conference? Yeah, if you haven't been, this is your year, let me tell you. You know, you sit in this massive room with 4,000 people, and if you're like me and you can't even read the clock on the back wall because you're half blind, it's really hard to see whatever the preacher is doing slash wearing slash is the preacher like a man or a woman, <laughs> especially with like what some of the preachers wear today, like what, what's going on. And they got these things called like LED screens, and they, they zoom in and they make people bigger for you to see. And I could have spent a lot more time thinking through a better illustration, but this is what I came up with. So deal with it, <laughs> right? Something that makes something bigger. And, it, and what it does is it takes something 
and it makes much of what our original perspective was. Joy magnifies the truth and beauty and worth of Christ. This is what it's saying. When we enjoy God, who Christ is becomes more evident. When we enjoy God, Christ becomes more beautiful. He's seen. Look at me. When you enjoy God, your life is a testament to the world of what God looks like. You have friends who go, how do you know that Jesus is loving? It's to be magnified in your life when you enjoy Christ. They get to know God is loving because of the way you see Jesus. The more we enjoy him, the more we see him. We see the kindness of his countenance. We see the gentleness of his touch. We see the scars in his hands. We see the work finished on the cross. And what we do is we, we, we take this message and we make much of it with our lives. Much of it with our lives because a world, a world who looks at a God and thinks he is little, though he is not, gets to look at our lives and see him made bigger, bigger. This is what happens when you enjoy Christ. He's magnified in your life. His worth, his truth, his beauty is seen. So therein lies the question, why suffering and why trials? This is a grade A question, right? This is where Christianity is so beautiful until we hit this moment, until life gets hard. And when you talk with people who don't trust in Jesus, and you might be in here yourself, that's all good. But if he was a good and loving God, why would he allow this to happen? Why? 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 And I want to suggest just three, though there are many, three reasons to you tonight. Why we have suffering, why we have trials. And it's for the purpose of kindling our joy. Kindling our joy. The first one. First one. You can go to the, there we go. Trials bring deeper holiness and deeper faith. Deeper holiness and deeper faith. I have never once in my life, I've been following Jesus since I was five, six years old. Never once in my life met a follower of Christ who told me these words. Man, oh, let me tell you, Tim, my walk with Jesus has become so much more intimate, so much deeper, so much greater in this season of complete comfort. Never heard it once in my life. Not once. Never once. Never once have I heard that Greater intimacy was brought about through sunshine and rainbows. Never once have I heard it. You know what we hear all the time? And what I'm willing to bet is true of your life. 
the times where you probably experienced God the most were the hardest seasons in your life. Hardest seasons in your life. Do I have any gym rats in here who like to go to the gym? A couple of you. Do I have any athletes in this room? Let me ask that question. Okay, double it up. I'm in the new year, resolutions. I'm hitting the gym every morning at 5 a.m. Well, I'm getting up at 5 a.m. I'm at the gym at 6 a.m. It's rough. It's rough. You notice how when you go to the gym and you lift weights, it never feels like happy to your body? Or have you ever noticed when you get outside and you run a mile, it never feels glorious to your lungs? Notice that? Like, this is why nobody goes to the gym. Who would have thunk it? Like, every time you put weights in your hands and it's by that, like, 13th rep, you're like. <laughs> I mean, I, I got a bunch of track stars and cross-country stars up here. It's like these guys run miles for fun. Why? Like, we, I, I, we, we, me, me and Mr. Troy, where's Mr. Troy in here? Me and Mr. Troy back there, like, we, we had the opportunity to go to the, the Boys Cross Country State Championship this year. Our man Charlie was running in it. We had, like, some of these guys who were crushing it. Where's Ben at? Ben, ben wasn't here. Oh, there's, there's Ben back there. Like, I mean, we had some of these guys running. And it's, like, 3.2 miles of them, like, running up a hill and then running down a hill. Why? They don't get it. Like, and you watch people, you watch athletes, like, put themselves through extreme pain. But I want you to realize that it's only through pain that they become better. They become stronger. They become faster. I want you to see tonight that it's, it's through the fires of adversity, trials, and suffering that our faith is made deeper and it's made holier. We see God for who he truly is. I want to share with you this verse. It's in Corinthians. Corinthians. Second uh, Corinthians 1, 8 and 9. It says this. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. This is the Apostle Paul talking. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. I want you to hear that sentence again. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Do you think depression, thoughts of suicide, ever hit the apostle's mind? We were so beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. They wanted to throw in the towel. Indeed. We felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. I want you to think about the pain going on in your life right now that you don't feel anybody can handle. And it's so personal to you that you have to do it alone. And I want you to see that the scheme, the plan, and the attack of the enemy is to use that pain to take your life. And you're watching him do it to so many of your brothers and sisters in this city. His goal, his scheme, and his attack is to make you believe that the trial, the pain, the suffering that is going on internally 
should push you to the point of death. And I'm here to tell you tonight that the message of the gospel is to say no. His exchange for death is the life of Christ. Your joy in him makes you see him more clearly. Brothers and sisters, we take joy in our trials. We take joy in our suffering because at the core of the people of God, we see that Christ is more beautiful and more valuable than whatever else is being taken away from us. You hear me say that? You take joy, you count it all joy when life gets hard, when you're walking through things that you shouldn't have to walk through, when you're walking through sin, when you're walking through brokenness, when you're walking through circumstances that aren't of your own doing. The response of the people of God, understand that whatever it is, it might not be your fault or it may be your fault, but its purpose is to bring you deeper in your faith, deeper in your holiness. Why? So you can see him more beautifully than you do right now, than you do right now, and you, you cheapen God's grace, and you cheapen the view of God in your life when you think anything otherwise, anything otherwise, you start to get this victim mentality like, woe is me, something is being taken away from me. Life is getting hard, and I'm not trying to disregard your pain, but I want you to put your pain in its proper place. Though something might be taken away from you, realize that you are always being added to in the person of Christ. Count it all joy. Count it all joy. Nobody else can say this. This is why the gospel is good news. It's good news. Because though, though my wife may die one day, Though we may walk through really difficult circumstances one day, the message of the gospel is that God will always give me himself in the midst of it. So what do I do? I count it all joy. I count it all joy. What this is saying, hear me, is not smile through your pain. No, you need to get mad at your pain. You need to cry through your pain. You need to mourn. You need to be frustrated. That's not what God's saying. He's saying, I want you to see that in the midst of it, in your soul, through this, you're going to see me more beautifully. You're going to realize that I'm closer to you than you thought I was before. You're going to realize that I'm more trustworthy to handle your stuff than you thought I was before. So count it all joy. Trials bring about deeper holiness deeper faith. Number two, trials increase our cup. I love this one. Increase our cup. Going back to the gym analogy. It'd be really pathetic if I started at the beginning of, big beginning of 2020 and I could only bench 100 pounds and at the end of 2020 I could only bench 100 pounds. <laughs> Though it probably has happened before. Right? Like it's it's pathetic, but no, no, you, you go to the gym and you lift weights. Why? To get stronger. You get your butt out and you run three miles for whatever reason. Why? So the next time you run three miles, you go faster. Hopefully. <laughs> right? He brings about trials in our lives to increase our cup. 
You know what that means? It's so that you can enjoy him more than you do today. You can enjoy him more than you do today. You walk through the dark night of the soul, the worst thing happens in your life. What he's saying to you is that on the other side of this, you're going to enjoy me more. You're going to enjoy me more. I'm going to be more beautiful to you. I know it's hard to see it now. I know the night's darkest just before the dawn. I know it. But you're going to see me more. You're going to see me more. I'm going to increase your cup. I'm going to increase your capacity. You're going to be able to see me. Paul illustrates this again in 2 Corinthians 4. He says this. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. In your pain, with whatever you're walking through or with whatever you will walk through, this is the promise of the gospel. That he is preparing for you an eternal weight of glory. You get to enjoy him more. Brothers and sisters, hear me. There is no life that is worth living more than enjoying God more every day of your life. No matter what is in front of you. No matter what is in front of you. This is why it's so inspiring to like hear the stories of martyrs. People who die for their faith. Because they understood that even though. That I just go out. Oh, Julian. Right? That even though life itself is being taken away from them. On the other side of that, they get Jesus. And to the Christian, to the believer, the most valuable thing in your life. Number three. Number three is that trials make us aware of our need for God. Going back to 2 Corinthians 1, 9, he says, Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. Hear this last sentence. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Trials bring us into greater depths of dependence. You know, the story of your life is that the older you get, the more independent you need to become from your parents, right? I pray you are not 30 years old sleeping on your parents' bed. That'd be weird, right? No, but like your story is like by the time you hit 18, 19, you most likely will leave, maybe go to college, maybe not. Some of you might do the military. Some of you might stay home, do college. But the older you get, it's like, no, you're becoming more financially independent. You're becoming more relationally independent. You're becoming more spiritually independent, more emotionally independent. Your parents aren't putting you to bed anymore. Hopefully. <laughs> Man, I'm really having to cover bases tonight, right? Like... You, you, you move out of time. And, and that's been the story since you were a baby. When you were born, they had to take care of your every need. Every need. Clean you, feed you, bathe you, put you to bed, get you up, carry you everywhere. 
your every need is dependent on your parents. And, and as you grow, it kind of becomes this idea of we become more independent. And I want to suggest to you tonight that the walk of faith is the exact opposite. The more you walk with Jesus, the more you realize you're in desperate need of him in all things. All things. The way you handle your finances and the way you engage in your marriage and the way you handle your relationships and the way you go about your career and the way you live your life, you need him. And trials and suffering makes you aware of that. Are you with me tonight? Can I get the band to come back up here? Last couple weeks, I've been praying for you. Praying for you. This is actually a bigger night for high school than we've had probably in a while. And I want you to hear me say tonight that I believe with all of my heart 2020 is going to be a year where this student ministry learns to enjoy God more learns to rejoice in God more. To embrace God more. And the purpose of of tonight, the purpose of this message is for you to see that what you're walking through right now, the hardest thing in your life right now is for you. It's not against you. I want you to hear me. God cares so much about your faith. He cares so much about your faith that he will do what he must for you to see him more beautifully. And that sounds really hard. And in some ways it might sound mean. But the more you begin to see God, you see it as an act of love. It's an act of love. He cares for you so deeply that he's going to do what he must. He'll break you if he has to for you to see how much he loves you. So brothers and sisters, count it all joy. Joy when you face various trials of many kinds. Because through it, he's producing steadfastness and endurance. Why? So you can come to the end of your life saying, I have run the race. I fought the good fight. I finished the faith. He wants to know you. He wants to see you. If my wife did something that made me mad, I would not be a good husband to just take it and sweep it under the rug. Our marriage has become only better only deeper because we're willing to fight with one another. And sometimes that's like the worst thing on the planet earth. When you're fighting with somebody that you dearly love, you're in conflict with somebody you dearly love. But no matter what, whenever we get to the other side of the fight, our marriage, our relationship has been made stronger and better for it. And I'm suggesting to you tonight, this is how you need to to perceive and look at the hard things in your life is that the purpose of it is for you to be closer to God. The purpose of it is for you to see him more clearly. 
I'm gonna call an audible on you. I wanna go to your bridge of I will remember if that's okay. I will remember, okay? Can you stand with me tonight? We sang these words tonight. And I think there's something that they're, they're, they're kind of easy to breeze over. And I want you to see tonight that the Apostle Paul, James, Peter, Matthew, Luke, John, the author of Hebrews, saw these words as no light thing. No light thing. No, I think. There's an understanding, and especially if you look back and you read the Bible, that to follow Jesus means to cost you your life. It means that your best life is not what this world is telling you your best life is right now. It's not making millions of dollars. It's not having the perfect family. It's not making the greatest achievements, no. The only way we win at life is if we see Jesus more beautifully every day. It's the only life worth living. Only life worth living. And if you don't follow Jesus in here tonight, I invite you. Come. He loves you. He cares about you. But as you enter into this year, as we start this year, I want to do it right. Because here's what I do know about this year. 2020 is not going to be all sunshine and rainbows. It's not going to be all easy. It's not going to be all highs. It's not going to be all mountaintops. There are going to be times in this year when life is going to be hard. You know why I know that? Because there's not been a year in my life where that hasn't been the case. Things are not going to go your way this year. Things are going to surprise you this year. Your sin is going to cost you this year. Those things are going to happen. But I'm telling you right now at the beginning of this year, let's set our minds right. And instead of going, woe is me. And instead of having self-pity. Instead of going, why God, why. Let's sit here and, and make a decision in our souls to count it all joy. To count it all joy. Because whatever it's going to be in your life. Whether it's a memory, whether it's an addiction, whether it's a circumstance, it is for the purpose of you seeing him more beautifully tomorrow. And when you can see that, when you can trust that, oh, life is worth living. Life is worth living. Your life becomes a beacon of hope to people who have no hope. Your life becomes a beacon of life to people who have no life. You want to see your schools change. You want to see your cities change. You want to see your families change. Hear me. Have joy in Christ. Rejoice. Rejoice despite it. Rejoice. Why? It's the only life worth living brothers and sisters, I believe this is going to be said of you. I believe your generation is going to do it better than any generation who's done it before you. I believe you are freshmen, sophomores, juniors, and seniors who can show a city what it's like to enjoy God despite life being hard. 
you're going to pave the way for generation after generation after generation to follow you. I don't care what people are saying about you. I don't care if they say you're entitled. I don't care if they say you're the youngest, most codependent generation of all time. That will not be you in the name of Jesus. The word over your lives is that you are going to enjoy Christ all the days of your life. You're going to see him more beautifully. You're going to embrace trials with all joy. Because you know it's because he loves you. I believe it. I believe it. So as we go back into this song, I want to invite you to put your game face on. I invite you to look at this year and say, don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what things are going to come, even though I do know they're going to come. And they're going to come in many shapes, forms, and sizes. But I tell you this, by December 2020, I'm going to enjoy God so much more than I do right now. Right now. He's going to be so much more beautiful than he is right now. The picture of him is going to be so much more clear than it is right now. My trust in him is going to be so much deeper than it is right now. My strength in him is going to be so much better than it is right now. Because we're going to count it all as joy. Amen. So Jesus, we come before you. We come before you. And Father, I pray in the name of your spirit that you would awaken lives here tonight. Father, I pray that you would raise up men and women who desire hunger and thirst for the things of God. Thanks again for listening to this message from New Life Student Ministries. If you want to keep up with what's happening with us, follow us on Instagram and Facebook at NL Student Ministries.